0: Morning, everybody. It's great to see you in here in the house as well as watching online. As uh, we're closing in on the final few weeks of our Mark series, and I trust it's been a real encouragement for you. Have you ever done something extravagant? Well, what does that even mean, right? Well, well, first let me ask you, what, what is it, the idea behind extravagant, right? When you think about the word, the the word literally carries uh, a. a it says lacking restraint, okay, the definition or so, lacking restraint in spending money or resources. So, so you're a little extravagant. Now, now you know where you're most tempted to be extravagant is probably your hobby or something you really like. Like there's some guys in here who maybe have like bought like a truck or something and drove off going that was probably a little much but God is good right or or or, or maybe you know did you need another driver did you need seven putters you know it, it, you know, you're just like a little bit over the top and you kind of know it some 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 of the young collectors in our church you know you walked out with your tenth pair of Jordans going did I need it and the answer is yes Lord I need like 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 where are you just a little extravagant. You push it over the top. Maybe maybe ladies, there's, there's something that you're a little extravagant with. You go a little bit over the top. Then I need that purse for every pair of pants I own to match. Like, like what, what are the things that we say we're easily extravagant about? Now, now I want you to take that and play it out and ask yourself, is there ever a time where extravagance, which we would tend to think is poor stewardship, poor spending, Um, materialistic thinking, and those traps are easy for all of us to fall into and every one of us has done that one time. But is there ever a time in your life where extravagance is called for? I mean, do you really wanna hand her a ring and say you got it at Giant by turning the coin slot? I mean, is there a time where going a little bit over the top sends a message that no other thing would send? You're almost saying, by what you're offering someone, I wanted you to think that was a little ridiculous. Is there a time for that in our spiritual lives? And you might recoil from that and say, oh, heavens no, moderation, we have to think through, we gotta be calculated, count the cost, we wanna think through, and good stewardship, and all those things are very true. But sometimes it seems, there are times for extravagance that Jesus even honors. Now, extravagance in a principle can even be used in the business world. For example, there is a a book written that was out not even that long ago called Unreasonable Hospitality. And in that book, restaurant owner, um, very accomplished author, speaker, conferences, demand his, his stuff, um, has done incredibly well for himself, and, and so has really gained an audience about how he runs his business. And he shares in this account of one of his restaurants specifically in New York City And and New York City obviously is bustling with activity all the time. And he has a very successful multiple businesses as well as multiple foundations he started that are doing quite well. And he talks about them and he shares specifically an account of what he calls his 95-5 principle. Have you ever heard about this? He says, here's what you're to do with your businesses if you really wanna see what we've seen in our companies play out. He he says, 95% of your businesses. Money, manage it down to the penny. But 5% withhold and use it for unreasonable hospitality moments. I mean, blow people away moments. I mean, extravagance that they could never have anticipated and will leave them talking forever. Because have you ever noticed this? If you want to be known as a legend, when you grow up, you're a young kid and you go, oh, what's it like to be legendary, right? Legendary people do legendary things. In other words, they do things that no one else does. They go way over the top. They've had a moment of extravagance, either in valor for defense or for their country or in philanthropy or in taking business risk. And people look at it and go, that was so uncommon. That was so outside the box. It was so extravagant. And he leverages this in his business model, 95.5. He takes that 5% and he does crazy stuff. For example, he loves to share the story of a couple that came from Spain with their children and they were dining in one of his restaurants one night and the snow began to fall and they had never seen it for the first time in their life. And these gigantic flakes, he says, were falling over New York City and their faces were pressed up. He happened to be, as the owner, in the restaurant that night and he applied the 95.5. He made a phone call and he said, I want you to call a limo for this family. But first buy four sleds, get all their gear, put it in the limo, and I'm gonna tell them at the end of dinner, downstairs we have a limo waiting to take you to Central Park and your whole family's gonna go sledding. Did the whole event and he says to the crowd, how often do you think they told that story to people? And he continued to coach the people in that room of how when you do things like that in the business world, it's so remarkable that you don't need a marketing scheme. You have people's awe. And he goes on for different stories and I could go on and on. But what I've applied out of that and what I've tried to even apply in my own life in certain areas, I call the alabaster dynamic moments when you do something so extraordinary that the people in your life even recoil and say, "Um, that was a little much, did you need to do that? And we all have different stories of somebody who's done something for us in a time of need. But can I ask you, have you ever done something that even people around you, even maybe even other brothers and sisters in Christ went, I don't know if you needed to do, I mean, I understand you love Jesus, but did you need to move to Africa? Africa? I mean, I understand that you love Jesus, but do you need to do it vocationally? I mean, I understand that you love Jesus, but do you need to read that Bible every day? I mean, you don't have to do these things. You're a little bit over the top, and it's those moments that I would call alabaster moments. And we get that from some stories in scripture. One specifically is found in Luke chapter seven. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says that a Pharisee asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. So I want you to picture the scene in your mind's eye. And behold, which means suddenly or surprisingly, a woman of the city, a very nice way of saying, uh, who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is touching him for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And Jesus begins to tell him a parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. And the other owed 50 denarii. 500. And the other had 50. That's not very similar amounts. One owes a lot more than the other. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. What? Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he had canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She broke a vase, if you will, she poured some pure in heart, if you will, over her Savior out of incredible gratitude for being forgiven. And you know what Chuck Dahl says about this in his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity? It's one of my favorite books. It's the book that um, God definitely used in my life and is one of the reasons I went into vocational ministry into the pastorate. I read it in college and it really just gripped me and I ended up going to Bible college and leaving where I was currently at. And it was this paragraph among many that caught my attention about this story Chuck Swindoll says, I believe this event has, per- has preserved to teach one major message. There are certain times when extravagance is appropriate. In our day of emphasis on high-tech calculations and finely tuned budgets with persistence reminders of cost, restraint, and propriety. That is never being guilty of doing anything outside the bounds of ordinary. Anything beyond the basics can be misconstrued as excessive. He writes, if you buy into that ever-present Spartan philosophy, then everything you build will be functional, ordinary, and basic. Everything you purchase will be at the lowest cost and everything you do will be average. And based on this story, he writes, I feel there are times when extravagant gifts are not only appropriate, they are occasionally essential. Reading that book by Swindoll, I remember thinking, if I go into ministry, Lord, one of the things that I want to do for you is live an alabaster type of life. I don't want to do 95%. I want to do 100. In fact, I want to do 110 for you, Lord. We adopted a phrase called go big or go home in our youth ministry when I first started ministry. And I remember going over and telling our senior pastor at the time, I'm going to need the church sanctuary for our day camp this year. We're gonna do a big set. Well, it's gotta be down by Sunday. I remember staying up all night one time getting that set down because we had a bunch of leaders that bought in to go and big for Jesus and then teenagers to follow. And people will sometimes come to renew camps and go, how did you get this many people involved? And I remember when it was four of us in the auditorium saying, let's go big. And who knows, maybe something memorable will happen. And not only is something memorable happen, it's one of our all-time favorite weeks, and I can remember some days in my life where I would hear even from brothers and sisters in Christ, we're doing all this work for one week? Do we know how much this costs on our budget for one week of the year? But I can't tell you how many times I've sat here listening to children say, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior at day camp, amen? Because sometimes... Things call for us to go above and beyond for God. Can I ask you, have you ever done anything that Jesus would even look at and say, wow, that's a little excessive? Heaven forbid. Well, then maybe this story will coach you up a little bit on how sometimes, sometimes it's called for. Are we called to be good stewards? 100%. Are we called to not live lives of folly? You bet. But every once in a while, you may have a moment that demands what I would call alabaster worship. And so that's the title of our sermon today, alabaster worship. I wanna look at another instance in Mark chapter 14 of a woman who came up to Jesus and broke a vase, if you will, for him. Heavenly Father, use the text today to inspire us that you are not an ordinary God. You are an extraordinary God. And what we might look at as costly is the very thing that you're asking us for. And so, Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear this message today of this woman completely vulnerable in front of all of these men watching her do something that she knew they would all say is folly. Except for Jesus. And there's a lesson there. And there's something for us to take away from that. That there are times in our lives where you might just be most honored by extravagance and so we'll pray these things, asking you to teach us, Lord. So remove the room, if you will, of all the distractions so we might hear your word. Break our hearts, Lord, that we might listen and not be just hearers, but doers as well. But Lord, would you, would you bless those who made it a priority today to gather here or to watch online and sit underneath the teaching of your word. So may we be faithful to present it in such a way that would spur us on to love and good deeds. We'll pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. So Mark shares what I believe is another account. You'll find that there's four accounts of a woman coming with an alabaster jar. And that can serve as confusion a little bit, unless you look through the details with a little more depth. And I don't know if I'd be dogmatic on this, but my view is that there were two occasions that three gospels speak of one occasion that we're gonna look at now, and Luke speaks of an occasion prior to his ministry. You could see this based on whose house they were at, some of the details, and the three accounts that are mentioned, not only in Mark, but Matthew and John, seem very similar in content, and I'll treat them as such today. This one begins by Jesus and the disciples moving forward and heading in towards the Passover time in Jerusalem. So scripture says this, it was now two days before the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread. And and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. I wrote down in my notes that line, they were seeking to arrest him and kill him by stealth. But not during when the crowds are there. You see, Jesus had gained quite a following. And during Passover, you would know this if you study Jewish history, that this was a time where just thousands upon thousands would come into the city. So from going from like 50,000 people to 500,000 people during that week was not uncommon. We even see this today. My wife comes from Belfont, PA, right next to State College. There's a popular football team that plays there. And on State College, you will find, it's not that big a town, okay? Not very large at all. Couple streets, there's a cool corridor or two with some bookstores. But other than that, State College is, is not that different than what you might find up in Quakertown or things like that. However, six Saturdays a year, that place is one of the biggest cities, if you will, in all of pennsylvania now why would that be because everyone's coming for a football team and so these crowds would go from this is what it typically is to just being overrun so that's the that's your background of this story the passover's coming jesus is closing in on his death right he's in fact told them multiple times i'm going to die don't worry i'll rise again And so this is amping up. There's people in the streets. Jesus is a very popular figure. So there's a famous person not only during the Passover, but Jesus is there. And the crowds are coming in and they're going, We got to kill him. But we can't do it with all these people here because they feared the crowds. And in Mark Ann's style, he's going to sandwich the betrayal and plot to kill Jesus on either side of a story that appears in the middle what's that story? Well, it's the story of a woman who came to him in Bethany. Scripture says this, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, so not the Pharisee this time, he's reclining at the table and a woman with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. Now let's just stop there for a second and go over that line. A woman with an alabaster flask of ointment of Purnard. Very costly. Now, I know you're all thinking, oh yeah, we, we were talking about our alabaster flask in our house this week, right? So you know what I, all this is all about, right? What's that? What's alab- That's not necessarily something very common to what we experience. So what's an alabaster flask? And you can understand this, that, that the word alabaster here and some of the wording, it can be spoken of in different ways according to the original language. So you could call it alabaster flask or vase or even alabaster box. And sometimes the story kind of carries some different things because of how people choose to interpret it. But the idea here is this is a container Carrying a very costly ointment. Alabaster stone. It was a very hard stone. It looked like kind of white marble. And and on top of that, it was often thought of very highly because Solomon's temple had alabaster in it. And so you could keep oils in it, very costly oils, and they would be preserved over time in those flasks. And oftentimes what they would do is they'd seal the flask. And so you'd see something like a jar type thing, okay, with a seal on top and they wax seal that. And so when you hear breaking a jar, it's often referring to, if you look at some of the the aspects of that time period of breaking the wax seal, it could have broken the jar as well, but that's the idea behind it, this wax seal. And it would seal that ointment and preserve it. Why? Because these things were very valuable, very clearly. What's she going to do with it? Scripture says she broke it. She broke the flask or ripped open the wax seal and poured it over Jesus's head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment, could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. They scolded her. I wrote down in my notes, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. The idea of the word poured here carries the interpretation that she emptied it. She didn't go, let's dab some on you. She emptied it. The idea of breaking it means it can't be resealed. I remember growing up and liking snapples. And snapple drinks, kids, you could hit the back of them, right? And they'd make that sound. But if you pop the seal, it no longer made the sound. It wasn't as fun. Because the seal was broken. And because the seal was broken, you know that things in there could perish. Perish. And so she's broken it so the contents then are useless. They're going to perish. And on top of that, she poured it over his head and it's pure nard. And that's that's a special type of oil that they would use in burials. They would put this type of oil onto people so that they would smell a certain way. I actually ordered me some Pure Nard because I wanted to see what it smelled like. Do you know what it smells like? I ordered this. It cost me about 150k from Israel. No, it did not. It did not. It did not. 6.99 or something like that. And when you smell it, it's it's a, it's an interesting smell. It's like a, almost like a woody, um, spicy type of smell, more than a perfume. My wife likes to go to Gaither Vocal Band concerts, and so we go there, and we are the youngest people there usually and we're amidst Southerners. And one time we went to a Gatlinburg show down, anybody know where I'm talking about? Gatlinburg, okay? And so we're down there in Tennessee, and I'm telling you, the perfume in that room. <laughs> Southern women, I, I love it, okay? It's literally like, I'm just dumping it. All, all, and some of you have relatives where you recognize, you walk into Macy's and you're like, is that my aunt, is that my aunt? I mean, because smells, don't you remember smells? Smells bring such memory back. I'm going to do something fun for you high school students in a couple years. Give give yourself seven, ten years. What happens is your children end up often going to the same high school you did or whatever. It happens when you stay local. And and you'll go back in for like a teacher thing or whatever. And you'll walk back in and you're not going to believe this. You open the door. I remember opening the door of my high school, having not been in it in like a decade. I opened the door and went, Oh my word. Stress, abandonment, rejection. <laughs> oh, oh, the smell. Crisis? I mean, you smell it, it's all back. Oh, the locker room, oh, football practice, that smell of mud. Oh, you can just, rem- I can remember. I mean, it's just these smells, right? Well, well, art has a smell and it was often used as ointment, but being in an alabaster flask, it was a very costly thing. Some argue, how did, how did she have this? Did she come from wealth? Was this given to her? These flasks would have like a little tie around them. They'd be sealed at the top and they were made of alabaster and they'd be kept and saved away because for some girls, when they would turn like 12 or 13, they were given to them to say, this is what you could use as a gift when you get married for they would have to give a gift to the family. But then for others, it was like an inheritance. This was what you get in the future if you really find yourself on hard times. I mean, so there's a lot of security to this. I mean, you could argue in 21st century, we don't really understand these things. So maybe if I called it this, this is a massive, massive loaded Roth IRA. Ah, <laughs> oh, now you're preaching, Chris. Now I got you, all right? This is a huge 401k. I mean, this is an investment that you have And as a mentor once told me, we have some of these things and we don't mean for it to come this way, but we develop things in our lives sometimes that we have just in case God doesn't come through. I mean, we would never say that. Oh, of course he'll come back, but just God doesn't come through. And I and I can coach already now. I've lived life long enough where God knows those things that you go to in case He don't come through, and He often comes and asks for them. So for her to go get this Pernard and to unseal it, making it not only empty but useless brings a reaction from the disciples and from other men pursuing Christ in the room as if this woman doesn't know what she's doing. What folly. And I can tell you something, being a pastor now for longer than I'm ready to admit anymore. Guys, we are cocky, prideful people. And the ladies in this room are often the reasons we're even sitting here in church. Because if it were up for us, we'd be pursuing all these other things. But the ardency and the worship and the passion and the humility of the women in our life are going, this is important. We need this as an example. And our stubborn hearts sometimes stumble in here to church and we're sitting here like, "Mm." but we're the ones who need to be here the most. And isn't it so often, it's the ladies that truly show what worship looks like for the stubborn hearts that are around them. And that is exactly what was happening here. And do you know what comes out of a disciple's mouth? He says this, that could have been sold for, you you know how much I could have got on eBay for that? That's the idea here. What's going on? And they scolded her. "That, that, 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 That was worth 300 denarii. Now, a denarii would be a day's wage. So 300 is approximately a Jewish calendar about 360 days. That's approximately a full year's wage. How much do you make in a year? If you think through that number, now think of it as an inheritance. So it was probably more than what you're even picturing. And you're saying, that, that's a lot. And they're going, what's going on? But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me what for you always have the poor with you and whenever you want you can do good for them but you do not always have me she has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for burial i wrote down leave her alone why do you trouble her she gets it more than all you guys I've been telling you I'm gonna die soon. And Peter's over there, not on my watch. You got James and John going, should we call down fire and stop this thing? But you got this woman who gets it. Guys, are you listening? He's telling you he's not gonna be here long. And she's thinking to her head, what could I do? And Jesus even remarks she's done this as preparatory for my burial. She's seizing the moment, if you will. He says, you'll always have the poor. It's as if Jesus says, in February 2024, in percussy, there will be people that are in poverty. It's gonna happen. That will always be here. I'm here right now. And when you sense those moments, don't miss them. Leave her alone. Why? Do you trouble her? But are any of you like me, when you read these stories, you start thinking weird thoughts? I'm I'm just thinking a weird thought here. And some of you are like, oh, I'm with you, Chris, share the weird thoughts. Some of you, when I go, let's go into seminary, you're like, yeah, let's go. I love the academic. But when I say weird thoughts, some of you are like, yeah, let's think philosophically. Okay, you're Jesus and someone just comes in and pours out costly perfume over you to show you how much that they love you. And your guys are going, what a waste! What a waste! Now, time out. If I'm having a birthday and one of my kids comes to me or my wife comes to me and says, here's a gift for you. And I open it up and my children start going, what are you wasting money on dad for like that? I'm going, wait a minute, right? Aren't you sitting there going, that's a little offensive. He's not worth that. We should have, oh, you know what I could have done with that, mom? Well, we got it for dad. Yeah, but what? What? I got thinking through that a little bit. Like, wow, Jesus, that's kind of like, guys, ouch. All right? Ouch. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing. Well, we're troubling her because she's extravagant. She's going a little too far. I mean, we know you love Jesus, but it's embarrassing what you're doing. We know you love Jesus, but that's that's poor stewardship. We know you love Jesus, but... That could be used for other things. This is what's going on here. And please understand, that is not an excuse, nor am I preaching or teaching that we should be careless with what God's given us. We're talking about a moment seized by a woman to display extravagant alabaster worship. I told you, like a sandwich, here's the bottom of the bun. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Right in the heart of this beautiful moment, there's a betrayer in the room. I shared with you that I call this alabaster dynamics. What were the dynamics going on in that room that caused such behavior? Well, one, Jesus has a bounty on his head. I don't think there's very many of us that can associate what that would be like. I had the opportunity to take a a group of teenagers into the projects of Chicago, into a place they call Cabrini Green. I had no idea how dangerous it was. And if I would have known, we probably wouldn't have gone. But we were there and we were serving kids and it was incredible ministry. And we got to know the leader of this ministry who had been years there serving in this area. And he spoke one time about when he heard there was a bounty on his head. And when the gang say, that they're coming for you, they come for you. And he started sharing with our teenagers that night at devotion time, how the emotions are when you're looking out every window, you're evaluating every drive, you're thinking about your kids, which he had, you're, you're processing whether you should move or not. But when the gang that said they were gonna put a bounty on and what we had seen already in that neighborhood and the control they had, we were, we were just taken back by it. And I looked at all the kids as he's telling the story and they're all like big eyes. He said, and there was one night I was working here in the building we were in. And so we're all like, and I heard the door open downstairs and I figured it was one of our interns. We have interns in our ministry. And so I didn't think much of it. And some weeks had gone by. He said, before you know it, I'm sitting there and I feel a revolver pressed against the back of my head. And I look out at our teenagers from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I was looking at them. He said, I'm sitting there and I could tell this is it. And I asked the Lord for something to say. And I'm like, oh, this is getting good, come on. And he goes, and I just spoke. And I said, before you pull that trigger, can I ask you a question? And he said, I heard, <clears throat> he said, do you have a father? Yeah. He said, if I were to take your life, what would your father do to me? And the voice behind him said, he'd hunt you down. You'd be a dead man walking. Walking you'd have nowhere you could hide. He said, so before you pull that trigger, I want to tell you that I'm a child of God and he is my father and he sees this moment right now. I wonder what he'll do to you. And he said, the revolver came off of his head and the room emptied. And he said, after I got done shaking, I realized that God spared me and I continued to serve. And I look back at our teens and they're like, I'm moving the second I heard that. I said, that is extravagant sacrifice to stay and work in that project area with those kinds of pressures. That is alabaster type worship. And that was some of the dynamics that were going on in that same room. For Jesus had a bounty. Jesus, I'm sure, was looking facially tired. We know in just a few days in our study, he will be pouring and weeping in the Garden of Gethsemane out of his eyes. And it's got to be showing on him of how this will go, what will go down. In his divinity, I'm sure he knew so much, but there were some aspects we see in the scriptures that he left to his humanity to find out. Broken. Two words. Two words I see of alabaster dynamics. And the first is broken. She broke the flask. How can I give Jesus alabaster worship? How can I... Break a flask for him. What is he asking for? In a room this size, I'm sure there's some of you who come here today and if I said, have you ever been broken? You would say, how about this week? Broken moments in our life come when consequences well up against us, when difficult news comes into our life or when we've lost someone we dearly love. It breaks Our hearts, we often say. In two months already in 2024, in January, I lost one of my best friends. And this month, I lost one of my best mentors. And both of their lives were marked by extravagance in different areas. The first one was legendary for his kindness and his servant's heart. There would be people that would even say to him, you're there all the time. You're always at church. Do they pay you even? There'll be people in your lives who will even question what you do for God as if there's probably more valuable time you could be spending doing stuff like make earthly money and stuff. You could have made 300 denarii tonight instead of going on a middle school retreat after a long day of work. If there's any youth leaders in the room, you do alabaster worship every retreat. That's difficult stuff. That's over the top. If you're here today and you feel broken, I want to tell you, you're in a really good place for alabaster worship. For it's the Psalm that says, the sacrifice you desire, God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Do you know who said that? David. Do you know what David had just done? He had slept with Bathsheba and had a man killed to cover up his lie. If there's anybody in here who thinks, God wouldn't even want to talk to me after the stuff I've done, David's your counselor. And he says, actually, if you feel broken today, That's a great time for alabaster worship. Give him everything. Because a broken spirit, a humble spirit, God will sometimes deny? No, will not deny. But there's a second word I put in my notes that are alabaster dynamics in the room. Empty. Broken and empty. She poured it out. The idea is that she opened the fat flask, and just poured it all out. 100%, no 95.5, she went 100%. In scripture, do you remember there's a passage where somebody said, I gave it everything I got all the way to my grave. Is that a desire of any? I got a dear friend in my life, his name is Frank. And he says, I just want to finish Well. And I always tell them, you don't have to worry about that. You are. The idea here is emptying yourself out until the final breath. It's the apostle Paul who writes Timothy and says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near, but I gave it everything until the end. So, alabaster worship comes from broken and empty people. And I got thinking, what do I have of value? I got thinking, what could I offer the Lord? And what is something that I could demonstrate to Him? that I'm not counting on that. I'm counting on you. And I'm even willing to have people in my life say, how could you do that for God? I'm willing to even be vulnerable and allow even that to come. Because I wanna be broken and empty. They used to make fun of Paul. They said he was ugly. He couldn't speak very good. I mean, guys, even if I have a bad sermon, could we stay away from ugly? Could we stay, no, I'm just kidding. And you know what Paul said when they beat up on his looks and his stature? He said, we have this jar. We have this treasure in jars of clay. I'm not here to show this off. It's a jar of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. And here's what's interesting about a jar. When you crack it, if there's a light inside, it shines through. And so Paul said, we're broken, we're crushed, we're pressed down in every way. But Jesus shines through every time. And we're to offer our lives as living sacrifices to God. Not 60%, not 75%, not 95-5 even, but 100%. Can you remember a time in your life where you said, Jesus, you don't just get Sunday morning. You don't just get Wednesday night. You don't get just the Bible study. You don't get this section of my life. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna give it all. Do you know what kind of heart does that? The heart that truly understands how much it's been forgiven. And when you begin to grasp that all are dirty Rotten, awful, evil thoughts, actions, attitudes are visible before God, yet he loves you anyway, child of God. He loves you anyway. Even after what you watched last night, even after what you said, even after what you thought, even after what you were planning, he loves you anyway. It's that life that goes. All right, well, then you get All of it. What was that night like? The night she did that. I think about that stuff. Broken and empty. I picture Jesus, don't you? Sitting there. Reclining at the table. She's looking at his worn out face. He might look tired. The Disciples are gathering around. She gets this thought, right? All my words are gonna fall short if I say something. I don't really have anything new to offer him. But what could I do? What could I do to express all of it? People sing to him disciples sing the halals? You wonder, was she in the room or was she looking through the doorway? He's sitting over there. Do you think she Maybe remembered a story earlier in Jesus's life, where there was this woman, and she had poured pure nard on Jesus, and is she thinking, "I, I have one of those"? Oh, oh, but Martha, I'm sure Martha would have something to say. I only really have one response. I don't really have one move. Do I do it? I'm sure she looked. I don't know. But I can only imagine when she entered the room and started looking around and saw it, her heart probably started to pound like you do when you're about to speak in public. You're vulnerable in public. People say a lot of things about you in public. And that room is filled with all the disciples. But she doesn't have much. She doesn't have much to show her gratitude. You wonder if there was some deep breaths. Come on. Ah, Come on. I often think Was she like, come on soul, come on, just do it. He's not gonna be here long. She's just looking at this thing, so much value. So much value. If I break the flask, I can't get this back. She's gotta go, all right, I'm doing it. I wonder if she looked in the room. I wonder if there was hesitation. I mean, she's about to be very vulnerable in there, and then it clicks, right? That's an alabaster moment. It clicks, I'm doing it. And she starts walking. As she gets closer, I bet some of the disciples saw her, right? Get shy on me. Don't get shy. What's she doing? Jesus probably saw her. I can't imagine when she saw his eyes. I'm sure he knew what she was doing. And she comes right up to him. She rips open the seal, right? And she just starts, she falls down. She starts wiping her hair. Everybody's looking. broken and empty vulnerable in front of all these men and Jesus said that story will be told forever The gospel will never be preached without that story in it. That's the stuff of legends. It's the heart that is broken and empty that Jesus will not reject regardless of what other people might say and think. Teenager, college student, manager, senior saint, mom and dad. Is Jesus going, what's your alabaster moment? Where's your alabaster praise? Give me a hundred. And when you serve me, I'll see it and I'll notice. Heavenly Father, in a room this size, there may be some broken and empty people here and they've been thinking they're in the worst spot of their entire life and you would raise your hand and say, I beg to differ. They're in a spot of alabaster worship for there's nothing they can offer. They're completely busted and there's nothing they could give you you already have. And that's why David would say, empty hands held high. Hands that are closed are holding something. Empty hands have nothing in them. Broken and empty. That's the alabaster worship we can offer you. So Lord, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's anyone in here today who feels like you wouldn't even listen to them, may they offer you smallabaster worship and give you their lives today. Scripture's so clear. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, who in just two days from this account would say, this is my body broken for you. and he would be broken and poured out on a cross. Thank you, Lord, for this incredible story of scripture that you said will be repeated until you return. It's these kinds of extravagant acts of worship that make us stand in awe of lives that are willing to give it all for you. And Lord, in our own lives, is there anybody we know who could use us to maybe pour a little nard on their life, if you will, to encourage them in a time when they're defeated as well? We know you're faithful, God, and we know you're good. May you receive our worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.